I think my dad's writing in the wake of finding out he wasn't my biological father, artistic stuff that was coming out of him, I think that was one of the major impetuses for wanting to make the film. Time has come. Catherine Bigelow! No, no, tu vas m'exciser là, t'es ouf? T'as pas le choix. Mais tu trembles! Growing up, I knew of Wonder Woman, but I didn't know much about her. I wasn't a big comic book fan. Not even worth state tuition, Christine. My name is Lady Bird. Uh, well, actually, it's not, and it's ridiculous. Call me Lady Bird, like Christine. you said you would. Just... Le César du meilleur scénario original est attribué à Denise Gamze Erguven et Alice Vinocourt pour Mustang. I just don't know what I'm supposed to be. I tried being a writer, but. <laughs> I hate what I write. We burn things, because war's the only language men listen to. Because you've beaten us and betrayed us and there's nothing else left. We're in every home, we're half the human race, you can't stop us all. And we will win. Hi everybody, welcome to the Filmotomy podcast, episode 45. I'm your host, B Garner, and on this week's episode, we're going to be discussing our favourite films directed by a female film director. So this is going to be sort of a, a personal just reflection on, on films that we we really like and, and our reasons why we've picked them, and, and I hopefully... Um, some recommendations out there for everyone listening. It's also exciting because we've got a special guest. Thank you so much for joining us today, Audrey. Yeah, uh, where you. can we find you? Uh, so I have a blog. It's 1001moviesandbeyond.com. So it's 1001moviesandbeyond.com. I was at the Toronto Film Festival recently, so my reviews for that are they're, they're appearing. There's a few up now, and there will be more to come. Love movies, love especially movies directed by women. So I'm happy to be included. Brilliant. Um, yeah, and uh, that voice you heard there was Robin. Hello, it's me again. <laughs> You're back. <laughs> yeah, I have, a, I have a bit of a break from the podcast and then I'll come back, hopefully with a vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, I asked people to share their um, gifts of their favourite film directed by women and I got 300 or so responses back which was amazing so it was just amazing to see the sort of interactions going on between people and it really got me in a mood to sort of get into this discussion and yeah there was a lot of films on there that I was thinking oh I have to go see that again or, you know, I haven't seen that one. I have to go back and, you know, add that to my list. So, and how easy was it for both of you to choose the films that were, you're going to discuss? I struggled, but I mean, there's so many I like. And then I'll go through the lists we did before and I'll see, oh, of course, she, the woman directed that one. So what I've done, I've just picked three films that are kind of, when they came out, I banged on about them for ages. And then I just thought, <laughs> I'm going to have to shut up about these films now. But it's been a couple of years, so the three films are quite new, but I haven't spoken about them for a while. Possibly not my three favourite of all time, but they're certainly up there for me. And what about you, Audrey? Yeah, I mean, I had a couple that I knew I definitely wanted to include. For me, the struggle was trying to figure out which ones not to include, because... Mm. There were a lot that I wanted to talk about for, like, different reasons, and I was trying to... I don't know if these are my three favorite female-directed movies, but I, I kind of wanted to have a, 
a range of different ones. And I, I found myself gravitating towards like the female teen comedies because those are the ones that I know a lot about. And I mm. was trying to like create a little bit of diversity in my, my choices. So I had a few more that I really, really wanted to include, but it's like, nope, going to stick to these three. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of my picks, uh, there's one on there, which is, I was going to say a little bit embarrassing. Robin, let's have your first film. Right, okay. This is probably the one that people haven't haven't heard of. It's called it's called Una Noche, which is, means one night. It's a Cuban film. And the director's Lucy Malloy. This was her first film and I think it came out around twenty twelve. But it's like, it's it's basically about three teenagers, two of them are brother and sister, and they're kind of at that age where, you know, sexual identity the brother works, he's got a best friend. Uh, his name is Raul. I think his name's Raul. His best friend, and he's kind of he's chasing chasing girls all the time. The brother's very shy, and he's also got a very good relationship with his with his sister. And she's she discovers that her, her dad is having it off with another woman, so she's discovering that a different side of of sexuality. It's beautifully shot, setting set in Havana, but obviously that country has its own problems, poverty and disease and things like that. So that's all kind of captured in the photography. And what they're doing in the second half of it is they decide they want to build a raft and and go off to to Miami across the water, <laughs> which is apparently what it does happen. <laughs> This is something that actually happens. So these three kids get on a raft and they go. And the last half of the film is kind of that. And it's them in the confinement. The dynamics, the, the performances are fantastic. And it's a really, really, really good film. Really powerful and it really puts you in that the eye of the teenager, what you're just discovering that you're taking these risks, but from a different perspective, a different climate that one we're not used to. So, Unanok, that's one, I think, if you can buy it, buy it, if you can find it, watch it. Really, really good film. I tend to like um, movies that have sort of like claustrophobic elements where they're all in one sort of like very close location. I feel like you can do a lot with character and dialogue, so I'd be interested to see see it for that element. Um, and also just like the resonance of like immigrants and the immigrant experience is really interesting. So I will have to look this one out. Yeah, yeah I was about to say, I, I don't think I've even, uh, this is going to sound awful, I don't think <laughs> I've even seen a film from Cuba. So uh, we definitely need to, to seek that one out. Great first pick. Uh, what about you, Audrey? What's your first film? So my first film is But I'm a Cheerleader. It's a 1999 satirical comedy about this girl named Megan whose parents send her off to um, a gay conversion summer camp type of deal. And it's interesting because she sort of discovers her identity as a lesbian while she's at this <laughs> camp that's supposed to pray the gay away. Um, and before she goes there, she doesn't actually, like, think of she has a boyfriend and she thinks that she's straight. And it's actually this experience of being in gay conversion therapy that makes her realize that she actually is gay. Who help people 
like yourself, learn to understand the reasons behind homosexual tendencies and, and how to heal them. What tendencies? Why would you think I'm a... You've been trying to make us eat this tofu. I think it's a movie that's super ahead of its time. Like, there were not a lot of movies like this coming out in the 90s. And, like, we see movies now that are sort of um, dealing with gay conversion therapy, like the miseducation of Cameron Post and Boy Erased. But this is sort of the, the precursor to that. And it got some criticism from critics about, um, like, how it represented gay people and if it plays into stereotypes. But I think... It's really interesting for its period because it kind of shows how there are different types of, you know, gay women. It's not all like one type of person or another type of person. It shows kind of like the spectrum of of different people involved. Um, I think it's actually like really funny and it's got this like almost surreal visual style that I really enjoy, like bright, vivid colors and exaggerated sets. Really good performances from its lead um, actress, Natasha Leon, and then also Clea Duvall, who's, of course, like amazing in everything she does. Has a 37% on Rotten Tomatoes, which makes me upset, <laughs> but <laughs> I wanted to include that because I thought it was um, an interesting contribution to, um, to the, the conversation about the LGBT community in the United States and also gay conversion therapy and how awful it is. Um, I think the actors involved and just the, the theme of it and also the, the visual style are all really things that lend itself to finding that like niche audience that really, really enjoys it. So I'm glad to see it's kind of gaining and because I, I remember it being this very small, obscure little independent movie that was kind of strictly for like the like the gay community and now it's sort of becoming more more well known and more well received so yeah i think you've hit the nail on the head with the the niche audience with films like that and the suffer you know rotten tomatoes i don't i don't don't take it as gospel but you you see that in a film you like and it gets something like that and and you you just hate critics but (laughs) you've got to say that the people it, hasn't, it obviously didn't reach its niche audience when it, it was getting rated. And that's all that is, you know, so... If it gets a negative rating, it always has that stigma attached to it. And I see films that... I just try and go in blind into movies now. I don't try and look at anything on the internet. Because <laughs> it just ruins it for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's my turn now. Oh, gosh. This is going to be my embarrassing first pick. So uh, don't judge me for this film, but I, I absolutely loved this film as a child. It's 1998 remake of the classic Parent Trap film, directed by Nancy Myers, uh, and starring the wonderful Lindsay Lohan before everything happened to her, which is really sad. She really is amazing in this film. It's, it's about two, two girls called Haley and Annie who are sent on a summer camp and at first they hate each other there's some hilarious moments where you know they're pulling pranks on each other one's from the UK and one's from California and it turns out that they're actually twin sisters and they've been reunited and their parents divorced when they were young and they try to get their parents back together and I got her talking about how she and dad first met. And if you ask me, there's like a whole Hallie, possibility. Like, stop. We've got a major problem. You're going to have to bring mother out here immediately. Immediately? Are you nuts? I've only had one day with her. I'm just getting to know her. I can't. I won't. 
But this is an emergency. Dad's in love. Get out of here. Dad doesn't fall in love. I mean, at least not seriously. Trust me, he's serious about this one. He's always holding her hand and kissing her neck and waiting on her hand and foot. He is? It's disgusting. It's not a serious film. It doesn't take itself seriously. It's very funny. There's lots of kid humour to it. There's moments where, you know, they're getting covered in flour and you've got lizards climbing in people's mouths and (laughs) (laughs) crazy sort of moments like that. But I think it's a really good, happy film to me. I just remember watching that film along with films like Adam's Family Values and Matilda and Home Alone and all those kids' films. So you just have that sort of warm feeling to yourself. And I think as well, it kind of captures how it is to be a teen, uh, what I say, a pre-teen girl. Because you are getting into mischief. You are playing pranks on people. And it also has that sort of great bonding as well. And it's very charming. I, I love the fact that I was convinced for so long that they were two different girls. I didn't realize that it was, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it was just one actress. And I haven't seen the original one and I don't want to see the original because I, I love this one so much. And maybe, you know, I should go back and see the original, but it feels like it would be quite dated now. And this one feels like I could connect to it because I was, at the same age as the characters in that film when it first came out. And, you know, I, I just wanted to go for something fun because the other two movies, are one of them's also about children and isn't very fun. So... <laughs> oh, I love The Parent Trap. This movie came out when I was like 10 or 11. So I had watched, I had been watching the original for probably like five years before that point. So when it came out, I was like, oh, they're remaking it. But I found that I had room in my heart for both. Like, I really liked the original, but I also really liked this version. I think Lindsay Lohan is really good in it, like you said. And I think because she was kind of unknown at the time, she can kind of disappear into both of the characters a little more than Haley Mills could, who was like already a star when she did The Parent Trap. It's just really fun and it's sweet. It's good. My cousin and I actually did um, an episode of our podcast, like comparing and contrasting the old version and the new version. And she had also never seen the version from the 60s. It's really good. It's really fun. So I don't think it's embarrassing to have on the list. No, no. It's... Yeah. Robin, your second pick, please. Um, so we've, I've gone for a documentary. You'll be happy to hear. Uh-huh. We all know Sarah Polly. She's she started directing films. She was, she was a pretty good actress and she started directing. I don't know if you've seen Stories We Tell. Mm. Basically, I'm not giving anything away. She discovers who her biological father is, and she makes a film about it. And she interviews her, her own siblings, uh, her, her father who raised her, and they talk about the mother who's no longer with, with them, unfortunately. Uh, but it's, it's it's just a glorious documentary. I've never seen anybody make a documentary so much about themselves without it being pretentious. And Sarah Polly, I just think she's and not, not once in this does she put herself in front of the camera to, you know, so you can see her crying or you see her directed. It's like she's, uh, she's speaking to her dad, her dad who raised her, not a biological dad, but she speaks to him and she's like, 
can you say that again, that line? Because, you know, she's actually directing him in these really, like, poignant moments. And you were born with bright red hair. I instantly flash back to mum making a huge deal about you having red hair. It's like, you know when you're lying about something, you overplay it? She had gone on and on about how weird it is that Sarah has red hair. It's so odd. Oh, I guess my cousin Margaret Ann has red hair. And that struck me, and then I saw him with the red hair, and I, I really did think, yeah, I really thought it was true. <laughs> so at some point, I think I did start to believe it was true and, and thought someone should say something to you. I feel like we all had a discussion about it at some point, we all being everyone but you. This is quite recent for her at the time. So, you know, very powerful, but as I say, without being, like, you know, sentimental or, or anything. Mm. Have you both seen it? I saw it ages ago. It's been one that I, I've wanted to rewatch for a while because I, I watched it, oh my gosh, I can't remember, like in uh, university. I think I've seen it, but probably not for a while. But I remember thinking it was really um, impressive because I think it's a lot easier to make a documentary that revolves around like a big dramatic event and you can kind of pull all of these external sources and like there's video footage and you can put that together and it, that's not as hard but I think what the challenge is, is making something that is so deeply personal and and kind of more intimate and small scale and where it's really like your skill as a director and interviewer and um, putting together something like that especially when it's something that's clearly still like very raw for you. I just watched the the tale the Jennifer Fox film. I doubt again is a very personal personal film and although it, it you know she's t- decided to tell it you know with her actress and, and fiction in a way but it's still you do get that sort of this is a very personal film you can tell from the director it's you know it has this sort of rawness to it audrey what's your next pick so my number two um is a little known film that didn't get a lot of attention you might not have even heard of it it's called ladybird <laughs> flew under the radar a little bit. No, I there I was kind of like vacillating between this and then also like clueless or yeah, clueless and like fast times at Ridgemont High, but I, I landed on Ladybird because it was sort of telling the story from when I was in high school. Like Ladybird is at high school at the same time I'm in high school and there are little moments in it where just like some of the details that Greta Gerwig includes are just like a nostalgic punch to the stomach because you're like, yes, like when they're at the dance and there's a bunch of girls wearing um, Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy t-shirts. Like I remember those girls from my high school. So Lady Bird is just the story of this sort of like unconventional high school senior who goes to a Catholic school in Sacramento and she can't wait to fly away from Sacramento and go to college somewhere out east where there's culture and um, <laughs> so yeah and it's just the story of her navigating through her high school experience and her sort of relationship with her mom which is sometimes very very loving and sometimes very very conflicted which I think is very real for a lot of people to have that relationship with their moms at that that time in their lives and I wanted to include it because I think it has amazing performances from Saoirse Ronan and Laurie Metcalf in that role. And I think it does a really good job of showing that kind of nuanced relationship that ex- that can exist between a mother and a daughter. And I don't necessarily think we get that in film mm. so often where 
neither character is kind of portrayed as the villain. Like, I think a lot of times there, there's the tendency to make one of them clearly right and one of them clearly wrong. And this is very different from that. And I, I appreciate that because I think it does reflect a lot of people's real relationship with their parents. I also think it's really cool because too often, I think teenage girls are sort of treated with derision for their their interests that they have. And it's sort of like, well, you're lame for liking this because you're a teenage girl. But then if you're interested in other things and people are like, oh, well, you're just trying to pretend that you're into that to like get boys or something. I really liked the idea of just this teenage girl out there, like unabashedly pursuing her own interests. And she's treated not as a joke. She's just sort of like taken semi-seriously in terms of like all the things that she's doing. I think it's a a really solid movie and um, a good female-centered drama, sort of drama comedy. Hey, Mom. Did you feel emotional the first time that you drove in Sacramento? I did, and I wanted to tell you, but... We weren't really talking when it happened. All those bends I've known my whole life and stores and the whole thing. I wasn't really convinced by it at first. I think I need to go back and rewatch it. And I've just read the script recently. And I really like the screenplay and I really admire the writing that's gone into it. It's, it's brilliant. And the like the dialogue is the strongest point um to that film at least in my eyes like have to admit that the performances were amazing they were really great especially um laurie um as as the mother she was just wonderful wonderful and she's very sort of down to earth as well and and like a mother you know she does she does care but she you know can't help but fuss and whinge and you know, that's how mothers are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the way that you care as a mother, like, it it feels so different when you're 17 years old because you feel like your mother is just, mm-hmm. you know, like, doesn't get it at all. But she, like, you can tell in this movie that she's clearly trying so hard to just, like, help her daughter and, like, just keep things going, but also support her pretty much her entire family. It, you've sort of nailed it there. I think that's universal, that chemistry when I was that age, I was like that with my mother, that she thought she knew what was best for me. Maybe she didn't, but she certainly made more sense looking back. But Gre- Greta Gerwig, though, she, she deserves, I think she deserves all the praise for this, because uh, I love her as an actress. Mm. Her personality is on screen. When Noah Baumbach, the film does with him, they seem like a match made in heaven. And her personality is all over this. Well, my next pick is also about a relationship between a mother and their child. This one's slightly more dysfunctional. I, I'm going with Lynn Ramsey's 2011 adaptation, We Need to Talk About Kevin. I really love Lynn Ramsey's work. I love You Were Never Really Here, and she really has this way of, of dealing with quite dark subjects and and what she does is very subtle especially through the use of editing and imagery and the use of color the use of the you know the shade of red here is is amazing and the story is about Eva played by Tilda Swinton who is a sort of travel writer who has a has a child and she kind of resents 
the child. She doesn't really bond with with the child, the, the boy called Kevin, who grows up to be quite a sociopathic teenager, played by Ezra Miller, who is now playing The Flash in the Justice League movies. And it's really hard when I see him in, in those movies because I just think of this film. <laughs> uh, and um, he is brilliant in this film. Something about him is very unnerving, and I think it's a great performance. And interactions between him and, and Tilda. I was concerned that you might be feeling responsible. Was that? Because you were supposed to be looking after her. We just don't want you to blame yourself. No, I don't. I mean, I, I never said I did. She's going to need a glass eye, Kevin. So we would appreciate you looking out for her and any name calling. You don't really remember being a kid much, do you, Dad? Celia's just going to have to suck it up. I thought you didn't like those. Yeah, well, they're, uh, they're what do you call it? An acquired taste. And the use of sound and close-up of him biting his his nails and then lighting the his fingernails in a row. It's just, but mm. it really gets yeah. It's really sort of like like you say, oh, it <laughs> really sort of gets gets to me. And I think as well, it's it's a film that I found quite hard to watch the first time I, I didn't really sort of like it, I, I thought it was a bit I don't want to say pretentious but it came across as being a bit of an arty film I suppose it was back in 2011 Okay, uh, I hadn't appreciated movies then <laughs> I, I really feel that that's a great film about motherhood I'm kind of a sucker for like super dark affected movies I need to watch it. I it's it's been on my list for a long time on Letterboxd, but I, I haven't watched it yet. Um, Audrey, what's your third and final pick? So I knew that one of my picks was going to have to be a Penny Marshall movie because I love her and I feel like she's made a lot of really good movies that just make me happy. I feel like there's this thing that exists, this idea that these sort of like conventional crowd pleasing dramas that have characters that draw you in are somehow easier to make than more, I guess, like art house movies. But I think it's, it's sort of rare to find directors who can consistently make these very good sort of traditional dramas that have the right amount of um, like emotional draw to them. And I think Penny Marshall is one of the directors who's just really good at making these kinds of movies. And so I decided to do A League of Their Own. It's the 40s and all the men are at war. But there, so there's no baseball. And America needs baseball, apparently. So they decide to make a women's league where people can just go and watch women play baseball. And at first, it's sort of just like this joke novelty thing. Like, haha, women baseball players. That's ridiculous. That'll be fun to watch for a laugh. But the women involved in it are, they're really, really interesting in how they're, they're sort of drawn into it at first for a lot of different reasons. And then they get more emotionally attached to the idea of, like, their team and the sport. 
and the relationships that are between all of the different members of the team are so good and so interesting, but especially the relationships between um, Dottie and Kit, the two sisters who are chosen for the same team and are very different characters, is, is so good and so interesting. And, you know, Dottie is the older sister. She's very beautiful. It's Gina Davis, and she's, like, an amazing baseball player. But her heart's kind of not in it. Like, she's very skilled. But ultimately, after the war's over, she just wants to, like, you know, be back with her husband who's fighting in the war and, like, have children and have kind of a normal life. Chicken shit, Dottie. You want to go back home to Oregon and make a hundred babies? Great. I'm in no position to tell anyone how to live. But sneaking out like this, quitting, you regret it for the rest of your life. Baseball is what gets inside you. It's what lights you up. You can't deny that. It just got too hard. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. And then Kit, who's the younger, scrappier sister, she really loves baseball and, like, wants to make it, you know, what she does. But she's maybe not quite as athletically talented as her older sister. So it's a really interesting dynamic. And I I just think it's a, it's a great film about women's history which i don't think gets talked about as much i think there's sort of this myth that women aren't involved in history like whenever you read history books it's always about like the male contributions and it's not that women weren't doing important things it's that nobody was writing it down nobody was talking about it and i think it's it's just cool to to shine a light on something that that you know historical women's stories are always interesting to me so i really enjoy it and penny marshall's one of those women directors who can sort of try anything and i i've always enjoyed her films so. she's got that comedy drama thing really well you know like with mm. the big she, very, yes. very yeah. serious film really but it's, it's done in a comedy comic way because of, of, the, of the story of the characters and then with awakenings heavy on mm. the drama obviously mm. but still there's some really funny stuff in there between Robin Williams and De Niro, when they start communicating, you know, properly, you know, mm. she, she kind of gets it just right. So my third film is uh, Ida Lupino's uh, 1953 film noir, The Hitchhiker. It didn't feel like the usual noir with the femme fatale and the detective and the men who are in the film are very vulnerable. You sort of feel for them and... I found out it's actually inspired by the uh, crime spree of an actual real-life murderer called Billy Cook, which was sort of inspiration behind this story, which is about um, two fishing buddies who pick up this mysterious hitchhiker during a trip to Mexico when they first pick up the hitchhiker and they're driving in the car and it's all shot in shadow and he's sort of hidden in the back of, you know, hiding in the shadows in the back of the car and uh, sort of talking to him and it's all sort of building on that tension and that suspense and you just see him move the gun forward to sort of show them that he's armed and dangerous and it's just such a great like use of lighting it's really great and what I like about it is obviously because it's not really this, the same sort of noirs that were around at that time and I think it was all shot on location as well. On the crime front, the police of nine western states from Washington in the north 
to Colorado and Utah in the east have been alerted to keep a continuous search for the Kansas desperado Emmett Myers. Reports have placed the killer in Florida, Detroit, and Seattle within the last 24 hours, although most of these tips have been discounted by police authorities. His latest victim, William Johnson, a salesman from Portland, Oregon, was found late yesterday in Imperial County, California. The victim's car, possibly with Myers in it, has not yet been found. This was uh, Lupino's fifth film, I believe, after making four, four films about women. This is kind of a sort of change for her. The ending is kind of, I don't want to give too much away, but it ends and it's just sort of like sudden and it's like you know that these two friends aren't really going to be the same. A great little film and like I say, it's on, on YouTube and it's, you know, 70 minutes long. <laughs> I like what you said about the vulnerability thing because she's, Ada Lupino was like, at that time she was like in the men's club, you know, she was, mm. she had a bit, she had a bit of power and she had a bit of um, gusto about her. She made these movies. Even in, in the film she was in, you know, she, she played these big characters. And this, she's kind of like, with well, this, it's like the noir, but then she's like, let's turn it down a bit. And these people have feelings, you know, and I like I like crime films where, they, I mean, they do that a lot nowadays. We get a lot of crime films where, you know, criminals have families and we see from, you know, mm. that kind of thing. So I like that. Uh, what about you, Audrey? Have you seen it or heard of it? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Um, it seems like something I would like because I, I do really enjoy, like, the visual style of film noir. Um, I tend not to like the, you know, like the hard-boiled detective exploring the seedy underworld of the city type noirs, but I, I do really like the, the vibe of it. Um, so, for the final film, Robin, what, what's yours? But my last one's about... <laughs> A vampire, and it's called Ooh. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. It came out quite late for us in the UK. I think we got it 2015, and I can't decide with that. Ex Machina, I keep going back. He's my favourite film of that year, but it's the, the debut of uh, feature debut Anna Lily Amirpour. She's a, she's an American, but she's from Iran initially. Um, she wrote and directed this what they called um, Iranian Western vampire western. It's set in a very soft, small, fictional town. It's all in black and white. You've probably seen images of it. The, the, the photography is unbelievable. And the soundtrack that she puts in it, it kind of reminded me of my youth. Like It's almost like she's put a s- songs in on the soundtrack that she listened to when she was younger. You know, and I, about that. Almost like, I suppose, Greta Gerwig did with Ladybird. But it's kind of like a Western. There's no cowboys in it, but it's the landscape and the... You know, people walking through this town, focus on this guy and a girl on a skateboard with a, with a hood, watching people from afar, and she meets him, because she's a vampire, obviously, she needs to feed. But with him, it's a little bit different, but there's, like, an attraction there. And the director, I mean, was very influenced by David Lynch, and you can kind of see that in this, the small town. Taking all the right boxes for me. <laughs> yeah, sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. I like good art house vampire. Um, that's sort of about vampires, but like not really. I I'm into that. Yeah, I mean you get you get your quarter, I think.
Time catching up with me